Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Paige St. John. I'm the host of the Los Angeles Times and Wondery's Man in the Window, and I'm glad to be here today on OPP. God bless everybody, and welcome to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcast is the TRL of podcasting. Every week, we interview America's top podcasters to learn more about them and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is LA Times Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter, Paige St. John, host of the current number one podcast in the country, Man in the Window. In this crime investigative podcast, Paige, along with Wondery and the LA Times, uncover the never-before-revealed details about the infamous Golden State Killer, who would eventually become one of California's most deadly serial killers. In this episode, we get to learn more about Paige and her experience winning the Pulitzer Prize, her career as a journalist, we get her podcaster's picks, and of course, we get into her dope show, Man in the Window. So, without further ado, meet Paige St. John. What's up, Paige? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm exhausted, but I'm doing great. <laughs> I mean, I totally understand why you would yeah. be exhausted. You are cranking out e- episodes right now, tearing up the, the podcast charts. I have producers that don't mind like tearing everything up like the day before release and saying, let's change this and, <laughs> and f- flip segments around and, and then have me in the recording studio until eight o'clock at night. So it's been one of the, the great challenges on this podcast, but uh, lets us bump it up to another level. So instead of going with, you know, the, the early versions, uh, there's this constant thinking about how can we tell that better? Or what are we missing here? What are people at this stage, because we're following a crime series at this stage, what are people going to want to know? So, so constant revisions all, all along the way. Now I've interviewed, um, I have two podcasts and I've interviewed some amazing folks. I've, I've, uh, a Grammy award winning or Emmy award winning, but I have never interviewed a Pulitzer Prize winning person. So this is a huge moment for me. For me too. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's because the Pulitzers are for primarily the written word. At least that's what I won mine for. Right. And, and podcasting is a whole different medium, a whole different uh, way to tell a story. So it's just a crossover for me. Yeah. How do you even find out that you're being nominated for a Pulitzer Prize? Is there a nomination process? Or do, you, do you just win it? Oh, oh, there is. There's the huge finger crossing process of, of you finish the work. In my case, I did an investigative project that took three years. And then it took another year to run in the paper for the whole project to roll out. And, and then early at the beginning of the next year, January, you're putting together the package and it's the newspaper that nominates you. Okay. Um, but I'm helping them pull together all the materials, all the testimonials, 
uh, a thing that the Pulitzer Committee really looks for is impact. Not just what you did, but how did it change things? How did how did uh, it change public discussion even? And and documenting that is part of the the nomination or the the entry package. So it's a, it's like a book that you send off, and then you just you cross your fingers. And they're very tight-lipped. They don't tell you the committees. They don't tell you where you are, who's thinking for what. It, you 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 feel because there's a fear that it'll become political. That 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 managers and editors and what might lobby, you know, f- like they do in in the, in the movies, right, in, right, in Hollywood, right, with all the billboards. There's all this campaigning and 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 lobbying going on, and they they try to insulate the judges and the Pulitzers from that. So it is literally silence and you don't know until the day the ball drops what happened to where you were, you know. Is, is there like a so. ceremony or or that takes place? Um well the announcements are an internal ceremony in newsrooms. I've been in newsrooms where they had the bottle of champagne in the fridge just in case. <laughs> and and then and it stays there in that refrigerator and nobody even mentions that it was there if they if it didn't happen, right? Me, I had, I was in a, I was in a, a like a depression. I, I felt like the piece, it was incredibly well received in the community, great impacts in Florida. This was how insurance companies were, were really holding homeowners hostage on hurricane insurance while they're going to the bank with billions of dollars that they're making. So it had the impacts that I wanted, but the day of the Pulitzers, I'm, I'm pretty self-defeated about it saying, okay, well, at least I was nominated, right? So I didn't wash my hair. I went into the feed store and got hay in my pickup truck. I drove that to the office. <laughs> so I'm really looking quite the farm girl. And and the I get pulled aside by the editor saying, you know, you you might like um, clean up a little. <laughs> so because there'll be announcements, I think it was at 10. And so I, I, I consented and went down to... Um, It was a Monday and I tried to find a barbershop or a hairdresser that might be open. Well, tell you what, women's beauty salons are not open on Mondays. (laughs) So I I found a barber (laughs) willing to do my, to at least wash my hair for me and, and went into the newsroom and, and, and everybody gathered around the TV monitor where we're watching the news come in and there it was. And and it was, so it was a great moment. Uh, What is that? How does that uh, change? Uh, a writer's career, uh, winning a Pulitzer. It's like getting a college degree. It's like you've graduated to another level and you're accepted. You're now established that you don't have to convince people that you can do the job because you, you, the award does that for you. So it's made my, my life a little easier and that people will listen to me when I come up with harebrained ideas like, let's do a podcast about women and rape in the 1970s and let it be about a highly publicized case like the Golden State Killer, but never really talk about him or the crime that way because it's mostly about the women. Uh, yeah. What does that validation feel like for you personally to be accepted by such a grand a grand yeah. award? Well, well, my daughter, first of all, put me straight right away. She said, Mom, there's a new batch every year. <laughs> so, you know, you're special for 365 days and then the bus moves down the road. Um, but I think for me, I felt like I'm the same person. I've been doing the same work beforehand and after that hasn't changed. So 
Um, so for me, it was like, well, I'm, I'm grateful that people recognize it, but it's the same stuff I've always been doing. Are you originally from California? Oh, no, no. I'm originally from nowhere. Uh, grew up in the... <laughs> which I guess makes me a Californian <laughs> by birthright. Um, I grew up in the... I was born in Maine, grew up in the Midwest, mostly Illinois, Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois, parents on both ends of the state. Uh, and then when I got into journalism, I worked in Iowa, West Virginia, Tennessee, Michigan, Detroit, then Florida, and then out to California. Uh, how did you get into investigative journalism? Well, I like to tell when, I, especially when I teach to to journalism students, that all reporting is investigative journalism. Wow. There should not be a dividing line. Um, but that said, investigative journalism is is when you're doing reporting that people don't want you to do, and so the the hurdles are a little higher that you have to clear. You have to work a little harder. Um, to get to the truth of what's really happening. But for me, it started with um, feature writing, really. I started as a doing more longer and longer, deeper and deeper feature stories. And then you begin to dig more and more and into what really happened to try to peel away the layers. And, and that's where I had my history is in that kind of narrative storytelling. And then when I switched over into pure investigative reporting, I lost that. I lost a lot of that ability to write and to dwell in the story and to, 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 to follow a, a, an arc. Right. And, uh, and so now I'm coming full circle back to that. So uh, the news climate changing, you know, obviously with digital, uh, how has that affected your job? If at all, has it made your job easier, more difficult? Uh, it's, it's created new challenges, but incredible opportunities. The Pulitzer project um, had a component that was entirely on the web. And that's a new thing. In fact, I think we were like only the second ever Pulitzer awarded that included a web component. Um, PolitiFact being the one before us, which, which is like a truth test for the things that politicians say. And, and it was an interactive database online. People could enter their home information and look up information about what their insurance, their hurricane risk is, what their insurance rates should be versus what they're actually paying. And then confidential information about the insurance companies that they were insured by and how risky they were. And, and so you kind of like wrote your own narrative, but that's an entirely online component driven by databases. And, and now with increasing, you know, shift into technology, we're doing more uh, visual, more audio, more video, uh, more interactive materials. And, and I think it really adds huge depth to stories and understanding you couldn't have otherwise. And, the, and that's why, well, this particular one I really love, and I'm looking for ways to apply that to future investigative stories that give you that those extra layers of understanding for the public. Uh, Paige, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into your podcast, Man in the Window. Sure. Happy to do so. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
So Paige, uh, how did you first discover podcasting? Well, there's an interesting history in podcasting because um, it was like the, the the pager. Do you remember pagers? Yeah, be, of course. The, yeah, yeah. Well, and cell phones too. I ridiculed them as well. I said, who needs a cell phone? You could just find a payphone and call. So um, about a decade ago, my husband uh, started experimenting with using what was called podcasting to cover an, an event. It's a horse riding event in Tallahassee. He was in media affairs and he created a podcast that um, little crews and they all ran around with baseball caps that said podcast crew on them and recording the event. And then they created a, a small radio station for the signal so that you could listen to these interviews while you were attending this big event, the sprawling uh, equestrian event. And um, so that was early podcasting and and I thought this has no future <laughs> for number one there's no delivery vehicle right you how because how often are you at some kind of event where you can create you know just use some radio signals and ask people to try to tune in to listen like a radio show right um, so fast forward a decade later I'm doing a four-part print piece on uh, the man arrested in the Golden State Killer case, Joseph D'Angelo, and it had turned into more of a, a saga of women at the time. And I, and I produced the print material about a year ago. And and then an editor at the paper, Shelby Grad, said, what about turning this into a podcast? And uh, they had done Dirty John the year before and had great success with it. This is a very different kind of story. Dirty John is more kind of detective noir told on a single story. This is a sprawling 300 and some crimes over a decade and a half across an entire state. It's a, it's a very different phenomenon, but um, for some reason I said, yes, (laughs) with no clue of what was it, it entailed. I thought I just basically, in fact, I thought we would just read my story into a microphone and that would be it, right? Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I think he even listen. I think he even had Siri read my print copy to see if it would work. <laughs> well, then we we joined our collaborator, our partners on Dirty John was Wondery, and and that's where I got my crash course into podcasting and what really is involved in in, in it. Oh, uh, w- was there an adjustment coming from you know the print medium and being a writer into you now? you know, having a voice and having to tell a story? Was there an adjustment period for you? And how'd you get past that? Oh, huge, huge. And, and, and a huge blow to my ego too, because as a writer, you fall in love with your word. You're, 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 and there's a voice inside your head when you're writing. And um, the moment you begin to try to speak it, you can't find that voice. The words don't work when when heard by the ear. You know, things that look great on print just don't sound good at all, or they're not clear. Um, and and so it was like starting all over. Uh, Karen Lowe is the senior producer and editor on this, but what she really is is my podcast mom, and and constantly was telling me how to break complex sentences down, how to break down scenes, how to create scenes, and. I had to go back and re-record everybody three, four times with with various generations of equipment 
um, be, because my pocket recorder is where I started with, and we didn't use any of that audio. And by the end, I've got a shotgun mic, I've got headphones, I've got my Zoom, you know, and I'm saying, okay, let's do it again. And these these are like five-hour recording sessions with these women Ooh. that we're doing again and again. <laughs> so they have the patience of Job. But yeah, it's quite a challenge to to go from writing in, into the the soundscape of of uh, audio in the mind but so much more powerful oh speaking of powerful yeah. literally yeah. next to my bed over over there i have uh, a bat i listen to podcasts before i go to sleep right so i was listening to man in the window while i was going to sleep and it scared me half to death i'm going to terrify you a little more uh, many of the, the because as this crime series went on they had loaded guns under their mattresses they were waiting for him it did no good they 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 did not have the half a second that they needed to reach for that gun let's get into the story like tell me the story of man in the window yeah well the, the from this perspective of the crimes it all began very innocently for the period with peeping Tom behavior, uh, a guy who would like look into the window and voyeuristically, you know, watch women uh, sometimes without clothes on or without his pants on. And, and, and so the cops called it peeping Tom or weenie waiver. And these were not crimes that anybody paid attention to. They even, even the people they were happening to just kind of wrote it off. Um, and, and then he started creeping into the bedrooms and, um, of of women and watching them while they slept then he began creeping into bedrooms um while while people were away and ransacking the women's underwear and you saw that in visalia and we're talking hitting like eight houses a night uh 125 ransackings in a year in this small town called visalia um and still not really a worry by for police until the very first time he tried to abduct a girl, the father woke up and he killed the father, and and um, and, the, and that was the first murder. But then, in order to evade police, he just kept moving town, leaving town, showing up someplace else. Law enforcement agencies didn't talk to one another. If you cross the county line, you you kind of got a clean slate. You could start over and with with no worry that that they would come after you. And so he, he changed venues again and again, escalating into rape. We had more than 50 rapes. They began with rapes on single people, a woman or a young girl at home. Then he began attacking with entire families in the house, tying up the man, putting him, you know, with plates and saucers on his back and threats of death if he, if he moved. Well, I took the woman into another room and raped her. and raped her like five to eight times. Not a... Most rapists would would um, rape and then run. And this guy lingered and he and he taunted his victims. He went into the kitchen, opened a beer, ate crackers, came back and raped her again. And and if the children woke up, he'd lock them in the bathroom. He tied one child to a bed frame. It's it's um it it became more and more terrifying. And 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 a whole community, Sacramento, was in hysteria by this time. Uh, when when he suddenly stopped, he left town. They didn't know is that in Southern California, people were now being killed. Now, at what point, what was yeah. the inception for you to investigate this story and eventually lead it to becoming a podcast? 
I was part of the team of reporters that rolled out the day that Joseph D'Angelo was arrested and charged with these crimes. And uh, I pulled the assignment of backgrounding who is Joseph D'Angelo. You know, the in, idea was that in two days, I would could provide a profile of who he was. So a year and a half later, <laughs> this is what I have instead. Um, because there's not a lot of information on, on Joseph D'Angelo. He's in, and the court case has not progressed. He's not even had a preliminary hearing yet. And the more I dug, the more I realized that the victims for, in this case were the fascinating story, their experiences and how we treated these crimes in the seventies just blew my mind. They're so far removed from, from today's standards and ideas. What was your process in gathering um, gathering these stories and the investigative process behind A Man in the Window? Well, I began by trying to talk to people in Joseph D'Angelo's family um, and, and, and found some, some close people who would talk with me. And then I tried to reach his fiancée, and, uh, and she was basically on the run from the media stampede at the time. And, and uh, that's Bonnie and Bonnie eventually called me up herself and began talking with me. Uh, she felt like she had a story to tell. And I said, I will give you that voice and it's totally up to you. I, you, you control what your story is. I don't. And, um, and then I began winning the same kind of confidence from women who'd been raped, you know, who'd been ordered into silence their whole lives by their parents or people around them, you know, you don't talk about rape. And then the case detectives then came on board. Confidential sources came on board. I began getting tons and tons of documents and records that I could not have done this project without kind of all the unseen material that, that we don't talk about. Uh, and, and the real final keystone was archives that Sacramento has these wonderful media archives of old TV footage from the day. And there's nothing like, there's no way to understand the seventies if you don't see it because it was such a wild time. How's it been seeing the reaction of man in the window going out into the world and, and being received so well and, and, you know, claiming the number one spot. It was really uh, jaw dropping to see how quickly this caught fire, uh, especially, and I knew it would really appeal to the true crime community. There's a very solid following of true crime. Right. But uh, what was really heartening for me is that this project um, was embraced by episode two of this other audience, this female audience or people who were saying this is not just true crime. This is about social context. It's about women. It's about rape. It's about how we treated and viewed the violence against women in the in the day. Through podcasting, I've, I've learned so much about myself you know, through other people. Uh, but what have you walked away personally uh, from this experience of Man in the Window and putting this project together? Um, other than a lot of new reporting tools, I think it's really helped improve my reporting technique, uh, listening to people more intently, not just, um, and I thought I was a very intensive in, uh, reporter and interviewer, but this has ramped that up a little bit be, uh, because now I listen to how they're speaking and probe more into their emotions as as they're talking to understand, you know, f- little more deeper layers of what's going on. That you need to do that in audio um, because that's what your listeners are, are are reacting to and hearing. 
and and now I realize I, I hope to bring that back into print too. Um, uh, that's uh, probably the main thing. So Paige, uh, we've hit a part of the show that's called our podcasters picks. Yes. And uh, this is where I ask uh, today's uh, subject to uh, tell me three podcasts that you love and enjoy and describe them to our audience. Well, of course, everything from the Wondery family, but I'm going to tell you that my all-time favorite uh, rocking podcast is Crime Town's Providence. I, I was, it was recommended for me to listen to it because it dealt with archival material. And, and I did, it did help teach me how to use our, you know, how you can make old archival audio and footage come alive again and seem like today. But the stories of Buddy Cianci and uh, the third largest Cosa Nostra of the U.S. <laughs> is it, just amazing that the characters, and it's a wonderful t- storytelling. Um, I love the complexity of In the Dark, um, Madeline um, Barron, as she goes through the, the Curtis Flowers crimes, and just as a reporter watching how she peels that apart, it was fascinating to me. But my third pick is because I am the, the mother of a 23-year-old who's living at home this summer, I listen, whether I want to or not, to every episode of Self Helpless, which is her favorite podcast. And then I began, so at first I'm like, yeah, it's in the background, I'm listening. But then I'm hearing these young women talk about issues like birth control in very frank, forward ways that it was such taboo in my generation. So now I'm addicted. Wow. And um, Paige, to wrap up the interview, why do you podcast? Because how else can you give a voice to women who were silenced? That that really comes down to that. That that was the only way that this story could be told. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Paige St. John, it is such an honor to have you on OPP. I love Man in the Window. Everybody go check it out. And get your baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. Get your baseball bat for sure. This is now going to be sponsored by Louisville Slugger. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paige. I appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Paige St. John. I'll be sure to provide the links to her podcast, Man in the Window, in the description of this episode. This episode was edited by Bradley Naiman, mixed by Mark Bird, and I want to send a special thank you to my friends over at the LA Times, Clint Schaff, Vanessa Kerwin, and Allison Therius for making this interview possible. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And I provide the link for that in the description of this episode as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pa bless y'all. Till next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.